Hello, all you haunted souls, and welcome to episode two of the Kindling Horror Show. Today, we are going to the Rocky Mountains, to Estes Park, Colorado, and we're going to take a little jaunt into the Stanley Hotel. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Stanley is one of the most haunted places in America. It's also the place that Stephen King stayed with his wife, Tabitha, when he got the inspiration for his best-selling novel, The Shining. But the hotel was rumored to be haunted long before King stayed there in 1974, with staff and guests reporting various hauntings over the years. Now, of course, with the popularity of The Shining, the hotel has become a central place for paranormal investigators and horror fans alike. It features a guest shop with plenty of mugs and memorabilia. Uh, There are balls and masquerade parties where you can find Jack Nicholson lookalikes. So it's definitely something that the hotel celebrates. Today, I'm going to get into a few supposedly true tales from guests who have stayed there. I'll go into some of the history of the hotel, some of its more famous ghosts and hauntings, and I'm also going to tell you a story. So buckle up. I hope you're in the mood for something spooky, because what I'm about to bring you is something that is, frankly, beyond belief. The story I am about to tell you is absolutely true, though if you ask my parents or my therapist, they'll deny it. They have to deny it. The alternative is too much to bear. Where to start with something as cliche as this? I was a loner kid who liked weird things. Scary stories and UFO reports. Anything to keep me up at night. I sought out the other side, whatever that means. After reading so much about it, I wanted my own stories, my own experiences. How little I understood then. I lived in a small town in Indiana where not much happened. Not much was there. My only goal was to get out. Escape to something bigger and better than shopping malls and suburbs. The end of high school was going to be my ticket to freedom. I got accepted to see you Boulder, not Harvard or anything, but a big school in a rad place. The mountains were also mysterious. There were places I could go to alone and try to talk to the dead. I bought a Ouija board to bring with me to the dorms. My mom shook her head when she saw it, packed in the back of my 91 Civic. Don't mess with that stuff. You never know what you get. I laughed a little. She was always scared of the unknown. Her attitude had created the life she had. A job at a little hairdresser shop where... Only the old ladies went to get their perms redone. I wanted something bigger, something more. It wasn't hard to find someone who would play around with the thing. My roommate had done it dozens of times, always with some creepy takeaway from the spirit world. But the first time we tried it together, the planchette didn't budge. It stood there stubbornly, and she got bored and left to go to some party. I stuck with it for a few hours that night, googling ways to talk to the dead to no avail. Months went by like that. I brought the board to parties, thinking more people would mean more activity. But if I was a part of the picture, no spirit ever wanted to talk. It was Scott. 
a guy I met in physics class who first told me about the Stanley Hotel. I had watched The Shining, of course, but I didn't know the Stephen King story was based on a real-life haunted place. We can go there next weekend if you want. It, it isn't far. I was giddy with excitement for more reasons than just ghosts. For the first time in my life, I had a guy that I liked, and I was pretty sure that he liked me back. We booked a room on the fourth floor. It's supposed to be the most haunted these days, and headed there the following weekend. When we arrived, I unpacked my candles and the board. The plan was that when it got dark, we would give it a go and see who showed up. If only I could take back that silly wish. If only I could tell my past self it wasn't who would show up, but what. The town of Estes Park was quaint, frozen in time, and gussied up for tourist season. Summer was when shop owners made most of their money. We skipped over the mugs and t-shirts and grabbed a coffee to prepare for a late night. The plan was to eat and enjoy the scenery. We were on vacation, after all. And then at midnight, we would take out the board and try to make contact. I was tired and edgy by 11.30. The hotel was old. The floors creaked with the noises of other guests. And the bathroom wouldn't shut completely. I made Scott promise not to look while I peed with the door open. The rooms were not what I expected, rather drab for such a famous place, and the dim yellow hotel light dampened my mood after the sun went down. We turned on the TV, and guess what? The Shining was playing. Scott said they played it 24-7 on that channel, some kitschy nod to the story that made this place famous. It all felt so stupid then, my decision to come here, to a place that probably wasn't even haunted. And for what? To say that the planchette finally moved? That I had experienced something that hundreds of preteens across the country did every year? I kept my thoughts to myself when Scott pulled out the board and arranged the candles in a circle on the table. He moved expertly, like someone who knew what they were doing. He took my planchette and tossed it onto the bed. What are you doing? I asked him. I have my own, he said, smiling. Never leave home without it. Something in his look sent shivers down my spine. He pulled an old wooden planchette out of his pocket. The wood was dark, the finish worn in places from where many hands had touched it. This was carved out of a cursed tree, he said, found it on my family's property when I was a little boy. What do you mean? Like, in the woods? He rubbed the circle of glass on his shirt, removing any smudges. We had tenants, or my grandparents did. Someone left it behind. Where's the board? Destroyed in a fire before I could go back and get it. He set it on my board. It was a flimsy Hasbro edition, and his heavy hand-carved planchette looked ancient on it. I don't know. You're not getting cold feet, are you? I shook my head, lying, and pulled out a lighter to light the candles with. Let's do this. The flicker of flame cast strange shadows on the walls. Scott had his eyes closed as he said some protection prayer. The patterns in the wallpaper played tricks on my eyes, creating monster faces that gave way to abstract shapes and patterns before collapsing into eyeballs and fangs again. A strange kaleidoscope. 
Scott told me to ask it a question. I hesitated, then said the only thing I could think of. Is there life after death? The planchette started to move under my fingers, the wood sliding effortlessly toward the yes in the left-hand corner of the board. I couldn't believe it. I laughed. You're not moving it, are you? Scott picked his hands up, and the planchette completed its journey without his help. He was grinning big. What is your name? The spirit spelled out S-T-A-N-L-E-Y. The guy who built this hotel? I guess, Scott laughed. A strange breeze blew through the room then. The drawn curtains moved slightly. The skirt of one of the twin beds shifted. What is that? I asked, a pit growing in the center of my stomach. Then, the candles blew out. I scooted towards Scott, and his arms reached out for me instinctively. We held on to each other, breathing hard and waiting in the dark. The breeze stopped. Just when we were ready to let go of one another and stand up, someone was pounding on the door, screaming, Help me! Help! A woman, crying for help. Scott, I said, stumbling to my feet. Don't! He whimpered. It's a trick. What are you saying? Don't open the door. I stared, standing upright in the middle of the room now, staring at the door where the pounding was coming from. The woman's sobs quieted, then turned to a strange, quiet chuckle. A baby started to cry. He pulled me down then, putting a finger to his lips and shaking his head. I could barely see him in the dark. Then... Footsteps leading away from our door. We were shaking as Scott folded up the board. Where's my planchette? We searched for it on our knees, looking for the family heirloom. Scott had carried as a good luck charm since childhood, but couldn't find it even in the warm sunlight of the next morning. When I got back to the dorm, I stuffed the Ouija board in one of the bins in the common area, happy to never see it again. Hey, roomie, my roommate chirped cheerfully when I wandered in. Tired from a sleepless night. How'd everything go with Scott? I sighed. Good, I guess. Uh, we didn't get much sleep. I bet you didn't, she teased. And I didn't bother correcting her. Oh, I almost forgot, she said, plopping down on my bed, an envelope in her hand. Something came for you in the mail. I took it from her, the paper plump with something big just a little smaller than my hand. There was no address on the back, just a slip of paper. On it, the words were inscribed beautifully, written in fountain pen by a trained hand. See you soon. What is it? My roommate asked playfully, her smile fading at my wide eyes. I pulled out Scott's wooden planchette. The worn finger marks that I had seen the day before were gone. This isn't mine, I said looking the thing over. Well, I guess it is now. In 1974, Stephen King checked into the Stanley Hotel, a beautiful estate located in Estes Park, Colorado. It was the end of the season, the last day before the hotel shut down for the winter, 
and Stephen and Tabitha were the only paying guests. While Tabitha unpacked their bags and relaxed in their room, the now-famous 217, King wandered the empty halls. They ate dinner in the great dining hall, alone except for a sparse staff, and when they finally went to sleep, King had a nightmare. He dreamed his three-year-old son was being chased by one of the old-fashioned fire hoses he had seen hanging along the hallway walls and woke up sweating and out of breath. He got up, sat overlooking the stark Rocky Mountains, darker than the night around them, and smoked a cigarette. By the time he had finished, he had the bones for the book, The Shining, solidly in his mind. In his best-selling novel, it isn't the Stanley, but the Overlook Hotel, a large upper-class lodge past Boulder, high up in the mountains, where the Torrance family takes up residence for the winter. The Overlook has a dark past. It's a place where murders and suicides have rocked the history books, but pasted over that are the trappings of wealth and opulence, a guest list that includes senators and industry tycoons. It's a hungry place. A waking evil force that draws people in and eats them up. The real-life Stanley doesn't have a dark history to speak of. Have people died there? Sure. But just as much as any hotel. It has had its fair share of famous guests. The Rockefellers, the Roosevelts, the Kings, and who can forget Jim Carrey? That's right. Dumb and Dumber was filmed at the Stanley Hotel. But while shooting... Jim Carrey, who had famously asked to stay in room 217, the same room that King had stayed in two decades earlier, came running out in the middle of the night. He refused to stay in the room anymore. He became victim to something that he has never spoken about publicly, even to this day. And while we don't know exactly what it was he saw or felt, we do know that he isn't the only one to have a strange experience in that room. While it wasn't anything as dramatic or dark as what happened to Lorraine Massey, if you've forgotten, she is the bathtub woman of 217 in The Shining, there is a strange lore around that real-life room. In 1911, a gas leak led to an explosion so violent it destroyed the second floor above the main dining hall and nearly killed a chambermaid, Elizabeth Wilson. But, and here's where things get sticky, she didn't die. She went on to make a full recovery, returning to work at the hotel, where she worked until her retirement. It wasn't until after she died at the age of 90 that the hotel started to receive reports of a specter, a chambermaid who hovered over guests and walked through closed doors. That was in the 1950s, nearly 25 years before King spent the night there. The stories vary from unmarried couples claiming that an unseen force pushed them apart from one another in the middle of the night, to single men who said they awoke to find their bags packed and left outside the door. Now, if you're wondering if maybe staff are playing tricks on people, it's important to note that any sort of pranking in this manner is a fireable offense at the Stanley. So not to say that it's never happened, but it's strongly discouraged by the hotel policy. I was curious if there were any more recent stories about that room, so I turned to Reddit, of course, and I found one user who goes by the name Film Gorilla, who gives their own story about room 
2.17. I had an interesting night in that room, and believe I know what happened to the Kings while they were there. I was working on a TV production for Fuji TV from Japan and was given that room for the night while there. They knew I was a King fan. When we wrapped up at about 1 a.m. or so, I was exhausted and crashed immediately. I woke about an hour later because I heard a voice say something. I didn't know what it was, but it sounded female. Otherwise, nothing else, so I fell back asleep. A bit later, I snapped awake again, this time hearing a female voice laughing in the room. I looked around and realized the bathroom light was now on. I got up and slowly approached the room. You probably know what I was expecting in the tub. My toothbrush was lying on the floor, but that was it. I replaced it, left the light on, and went back to bed. The next day, it had me thinking, what if the kings had the same experience? Maybe they actually saw something, too. Wouldn't be hard to write the infamous Shining bathroom scene after that. Now, if you know anything about Stephen King's own account, I have to say this is nothing that's included by him. But it is a fascinating story from Film Gorilla. Now, the majority of paranormal activities these days is reported on the fourth floor, a part of the hotel that was used for the servants and nannies of wealthy guests before it was renovated and turned into extra rooms for hotel guests. Guests have reported stories from nearly every room there. Children can be heard laughing or crying. There are ghosts wandering the halls, though according to records, no children have ever died there. There's a cowboy who visits room 428. He's often found standing at the corner of particularly women's beds in the middle of the night. He seems to prefer the female guests and is believed by locals to be the spirit of Rocky Mountain Jim Nugent, Estes Park's first guide. He was killed violently, shot to death by a rival guide, Griff Evans. Occasionally, he'll even greet guests with a ghostly kiss. As if the Stanley, with its long history and fair share of ghostly encounters, couldn't get any creepier, there are a series of tunnels that run beneath the hotel. Now, apparently, these used to be used by workers, allowing them to navigate the property without being seen. All but one have collapsed over time, and that one is supposedly haunted. The Stanley has capitalized on its haunted reputation. You can book ghost story tours, and paranormal events are often hosted there. Investigators bring EMF machines and conduct seances to try and contact the spirits that live there. The gift shop offers mugs with red rum splashed across them, and a masquerade ball featuring Jack Nicholson lookalikes have been hosted on more than one occasion. One user on Reddit gave his dad's experience while he was on a tour there. Now, while it did not say it was a haunted tour, his father was definitely interested in the paranormal. My dad went on a tour of the Stanley Hotel. He was outside, and the tour guide directed everyone's attention to the room. I don't remember the number. That no one is allowed to enter. The tour started to move on, and he and my stepmom looked back, and the light was on in the room. He also was going through a room with a bunch of chairs. He was taking pictures because he wanted to catch a ghost. He showed me a picture of a little boy peeking from behind a chair. He said there were no children on that tour or in that room. 
While some guests go to get scared or touch something in the great beyond, many go to experience the charm of an old hotel in a beautiful place. Stories from guests are one thing, but many people who have worked in the hotel have experienced phenomena firsthand over a period of years. One Reddit user who went by the username artsy7fartsy gives her second-hand account. She dated a man who was the head of room service at the Stanley before he decided he couldn't handle it anymore. He didn't really like to talk about specific things. He felt like talking about it would make it worse, or maybe made it more real. I do know that they would often get room service calls from rooms that weren't occupied. They had an old-school switchboard system and swore they had conversations with voices on the line. There were also specific rooms that servers refused to go to, so he would have to. He and the other servers often talked about a woman. I don't think she was connected to a specific room, but she wore a long black dress and a large hat. She would often be seen on the stairs and seemingly turn a corner, then no one would be there. He even swore he saw her in the piano room on the main floor in the front one day when it was busy and full of people. There was also an employee floor that he lived in for a very short amount of time and then refused to live there anymore. They also swore that there was another building outside of the main hotel that was actually a worse place to go than the hotel itself. Another user talked to a bartender while visiting, and this is what he had to say. I went to Estes Park a couple of years back and definitely needed to go check out the Stanley, partially because I wanted to see the We Landed on the Moon newspaper that's framed on the wall. Took a picture with it, disturbed the bar patrons with my outburst. Fun was had. Anyway, I asked the bartender if he'd ever experienced anything weird, and he said this, Well, I live here during the season, so I tend to ignore things as they come up. However, on my first night closing by myself, I was walking by the whiskeys. Anyone who's seen the bar at the Stanley Hotel knows they have a massive scotch and whiskey collection. And all of a sudden, the corks started popping out of the bottles randomly all over the place. I can't explain it as none of them are carbonated, and it scared the shit out of me. The truth is that, despite rumor, the Stanley was only listed as one of America's most haunted places after The Shining was written. That's right, skeptics point this out over and over again. It did not appear in any of Colorado's haunted places or on any of those top 10 haunted hotel lists that you'll see it on today. The reputation has inevitably brought a great deal of tourism to the old hotel, with paranormal skeptics and investigators routinely visiting to see if they can prove or disprove the ghostly rumors. What are we to make of this? Despite that fact, there are hundreds of people who report disturbances in the night, flickering lights, hands on their feet, specters in the darkness. Sometimes a piano plays in the hall, the lid shut when a guest enters to see whose fingers are playing such melodies. The staff there claim to experience things too. Energies, reflections, the shadow of a woman just out of sight on the stairs— the investigators and psychics who claim to have made contacts with those spirits freely admit that the level of activity reported at the Stanley is unique for one core reason. Nothing traumatic seems to have ever happened there. No ghastly murder scenes, no mob deals gone bad, no midlife suicides in the bathtub. 
Those jarring events that reportedly trap souls in a location are nowhere to be found in the history books. The investigators respond to this by saying that the hotel must have been a happy place for the souls that visit. They must have decided to spend their afterlife in a spot that brought them joy. The skeptics, of course, would argue that the entire experience is psychosomatic, brought on by the lore and popularity of The Shining. That central place the Overlook has in our collective psyche feeds into the belief and the subsequent experience that something extraordinary is there. On reading The Shining and in the real-life stories of the Stanley Hotel, a strange thought entered my mind. King received the idea for his book after a nightmare ripped him from sleep in room 217. The fire hose went after his son Joe, the hotel alive and hungry, and then the idea for the overlook was born. Imagine, if you will, a hungry hotel, not for the living, as in King's book, but for the dead, seeking out attention and intention, two powerful parts of the human mind that seem to be at the crux of every paranormal interaction and experience. What if those spirits have been pulled by the Stanley Hotel? Not by choice, but because the hotel is hungry for souls. What if King was only the conduit and his story, the advertisement, for a dying hotel, desperate for company? I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Kindling Horror Show. If this is something you like and you think you know someone else who might enjoy it, please share it with family, friends, frenemies, enemies, your grandma, your grandma's dog. I don't care. I'm looking to tell these stories and have a lot of fun. We have more haunted places on the docket. You can expect more from me next week. Please feel free to comment. Give me your own stories. Have you ever been to the Stanley Hotel? And what do you make of the reality that these stories have really been brought to life after King made The Shining? I'm your host, Shana Reed, here to bring you the intersection of dark fiction and the supposedly true tales that give us the stories that we love. I hope that you have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Kindling Horror Show. 